BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You're listening to Comedy Central. Times bestseller Eve, How the Female Body Drove 200 Million Years of Human Evolution. Please welcome Kat Bohannon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hanging a little to the left then. So, okay, you set out to prove that the human body drove human evolution. Uh, What did you discover? One of the central things I discovered was that we are garbage at making babies, just the entire species. This is actually a flaming garbage pile. This is the technical term, right? (laughs) Yeah. So we, you wouldn't think so, right? Because we have 8 billion people in the world, right? So you think that we are obviously good at popping them out. But no, 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 no. No, actually, our pregnancies and births and postpartum recoveries are harder and longer and more prone to dangerous and crippling and sometimes murdery complications than they are in most any other primate. Well, except for a squirrel monkey, and we feel real bad for her. Um, <laughs> but, but also also most other mammals, actually. We do, in fact, suck at this, and that changes how you understand the story of the female body, yeah? That changes how you understand what all this is for. It's not that it is our destiny to make babies, to be fulfilled or something. wasn't garbage. mine. Yeah, no. No, no, no. I mean, I love my kids, but I'm good to be done with that. No, it's more... It's more like it's how we do it, particularly as a species, is so bad that there are many fail-safes. There are many things built in to kind of brace for impact. Yeah? Go on. It's more like that. Yeah, that there are ways in which our immune system has adapted because the placenta downregulates the immune system. So, you know, since you don't want to die of infection when you're pregnant, maybe your immune system runs a little hot the rest of the time. Right. It may be the case that uh, we breastfeed the way that we do. It may be the case that we uh, have menstruation the way that we do. In each case, because we are actually just trying not to die. Oh, I see. And yeah. and, and uh, from what I read, you you found what you found was that all of this medical research and science yeah. has been based on the uh, what do we say cis male sex at birth. I'm progressive. 
Yeah, yeah, it's just dicks all the way down. So <laughs> Instead of turtles. Uh, right. Quite, exactly, exactly. So this is true in uh, biological research. This is true in biomedical research. We are only studying males, right? And it's basically because this thing we call a menstrual cycle, which a biologist would call an estrus cycle, is just so messy and complicated, right? So you, do, you have this slope of hormones that's doing all kinds of things in a female body if you're studying mammals. So maybe just don't then? Don't what? Study them. That well, seemed oh, to be the solution. Oh, I see. You're just yeah. like, let's not deal with yeah. this. It was, it's not like there was any sexist cabal. I'm not saying there isn't sexism. It's more like it's not necessarily sexism that was driving it. It's more that there was a kind of unspoken agreement in biology. Oh, we'll solve this problem, this messy, messy chick problem in rats mostly, by not studying the female. Yeah, which means that by the time you get to doing biological research that might lead to pharmaceuticals, well, then it may not have been studied on females at all. Is research getting any better with this stuff? Yes, yes, and that is the absolutely good news. I mean, it, it's often intergenerational. Yeah, there is some resistance from the old guard. It's not like that's new to science. That's kind of in any industry when you have a social shift, when you have a paradigm shift in understanding what you're doing. So there is some resistance by the people who are giving the scientists the grants. There is some resistance mm. from the old people because it's not nothing to change your mind. What is it to be told that for decades you may be a Nobel laureate, in fact, sometimes, you know, were wrong about something? That's actually a hard shift. That's hard to do. There are many older scientists who are leading the guard, but there are some who are not. So that's a thing. But no, new generation coming in, doing all the new science, and it's like the Wild West out there, man. Like anywhere you look for a sex difference in mammals, you kind of find one, right? Which also means that we don't entirely know what's gonna matter in the long run, right? right. You know, cause it's new. It's not just cutting edge science, it's like bleeding edge science. Right. But it's cool. And it's, and it's moving forward. It isn't necessarily gendered. It's gendered in that it's like what your sex at birth is, but like you were talking about the male and female brain and that they're indistinguishable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, don't do this at home, but if you do hold two cadaver brains in your hands, mm -hmm. if this occasion happens upon you, I can't imagine why, but if you were, and the nobody prepped you to say, this one came from a biologically male body, this one came from a, a female body, there's actually no way for you to know. There may be some minor sex differences in myelination, some ratio of gray matter in one region, but in the exact same brain in another region, it'll have the opposite pattern. It's more like a sex mosaicism. The only way to tell for sure is to literally shove them in a blender, sluice them down. We've done this. Sluice them down. Sluice. Count the cells and sequence the DNA. And you're going to have to do a number of them because females who have given birth to males uh, may well have some of his cells up in their brains just reproducing. Like some wise like some actual wise that's how we know that there's chimerism yeah i, I, feel like like I have I've a son wise. and his cells are apparently probably in my brain just doing something i don't know what <laughs> right yeah but that is the only way to know just sequencing the dna which is um cool you know uh, she's really cool right you talk about science but it sounds like beat poetry <laughs> but I will say, like, for a 
book that is all about the the female form and the female body and all that stuff. You talk a lot about dicks. Like, I why do. so much dick? I do. There is a surprising amount of dong in this book. That is true. It's true. I mean, it's like a woman holding a cell phone. Like, did there need to be that much penis in here? Right. Apparently, the answer is yes, because vaginas and penises not for your phone, but in this case, vaginas and penises co-evolve in all species that have them, which means you can't like talk about the evolution of the vag without talking about the co-evolution of its, um, I don't know, excitable partner. Right. <laughs> Maybe eager, earnest, earnest partner. Yes, they try real hard. Yeah. I mean, it's like a penis, like an inside, an outside vagina? Like, don't they put them in? No, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Now I'm You'd no actually scientist. be surprised how scientifically accurate that question is, my dear. No, actually, when uh, the genitals are forming in those early weeks in the wombs, they all form from the same bud, essentially. And there's a diagram of it in the book. Very nicely done. Yeah, um, and they're essentially the same thing for a long time. And uh, what becomes the clitoris in a typical female uh, Ooh, I just extends got a tingle out. when you said clitoris. I, like, my I clitoris can. went, you know. Exactly. So it's not that it's an inside-out vagina, but it is true that it is remarkably from the same stuff. Yeah. yeah. What, what, um, why should men read your book? Should men read your book? Uh, I think so, for their own good. So the thing is, <laughs> they can read my book and care about it. To learn about the human body like all the books we read. Or we can cut off their balls. <laughs> Ending point, and yet I feel I'd There's like to know if you would like to expound. I will. See, the thing is, let's talk about sex and longevity, yeah? The thing is, is that there are many ways to extend a male mammal's lifespan to make them live longer. Um, we know that females generally live longer and males don't across mammals, but the one thing that you can do that's more reliable than just about anything else is castrate him. <laughs> Cut off his balls. And this is, and we know this because we have cut out thousands of balls, okay, for science, right? So we have done rat balls, we have done rodents of all types, we have done dogs, you've probably done that, well you paid a guy, but that adds like a year and a half a to like alley. a domestic dog's life. Pigs and monkeys and humans, we have the data in humans. The Korean court, the Korean Imperial Court kept very good medical records and had eunuchs. Uh, American men in the mid-century who were hospitalized usually for mental illness and because the history of eugenics is horrific, uh, were also castrated. Very good medical records. And a Central Asian tradition too. All of these castrated males lived longer, healthier lives than their regularly bald peers. And I'm not talking about a small gain. It's an average of 14 years. So why, why is that? <laughs> you know, Your space why, work is phenomenal. Why, why are so many men smuggling too little death nuggets? You know, like why are these the ping pongs of destiny? Why, why are these <laughs> the actual grapes of wrath? Yeah, so, and the answer is, we're not entirely sure. We have some models. Some scientists are doing the work, but this is the actual future of gerontology, figuring out why there are sex differences in aging and why cutting off balls will make men live longer is how we're going to provide better medicine for cis men. And I think we can all get on board here. Um, American men deserve better from Medicare 
than a mass castration plan. Yes, that's a very good point. I mean, uh, mic drop, right? <laughs> Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Let's talk about technology. It's great. It mostly makes life easier for humans, and in exchange, we humans try our best to not drop it into the toilet. But right now, the technology we're talking about is artificial intelligence. Since it came into our lives, we've all been trying to grapple with its larger impact. We're seeing kids use it to cheat in school. We're seeing shitty partners use it for breakups. ChatGPT is even able to pass the legal bar exam, meaning it'll be the first AI to develop an addiction to cocaine. <laughs> but it might be a good thing that ChatGPT could be a lawyer because a lot of people are taking its ass to court. This morning, a Game of Thrones erupting over the rights to some of the most popular works in the world. George R.R. R. Martin and more than a dozen other authors now suing OpenAI, creator of ChatGPT. Martin joining forces with authors like Joni Pico, John Grisham, Ellen Hildebrand, Michael Connolly, and David Baldacci to take on the AI giant. And comedian Sarah Silverman is suing OpenAI and Meta. She claims the company's developed artificial intelligence tools that freely copied her memoir, Bedwetter, without permission. That's right, mother <laughs> Esteemed writing luminaries like myself and George R.R. R. Martin are, are suing AI. And I'll tell you why in another installment of Long Story Short. For as long as we have had civilization, we've also had art. For over 40,000 years, artists have had a sacred creative process. They, they sit down to ruminate on the human condition. They, they pace and they struggle to focus. Uh, they get up to get a snack, maybe take a nap. Then they work a bit more. So they reward themselves by scrolling Instagram on the toilet for so long they shit again. <laughs> then they finally 
finally get something on the page and when they ask their partner for feedback, they get mad when it isn't what they wanted to hear because their partner doesn't get me. Why do I even ask you? You're supposed to support me. <laughs> then eventually they buckle down, really do the work, and finally, voila, tub thumping. <laughs> but now, generative AI can eliminate that entire creative process in a matter of seconds. Dolly 2 is artificial intelligence software that can turn anything you type into art in any style. Portraits of a panda in the style of Renoir. And boom. While Game of Thrones author George R. R. Martin has had fans waiting years for his next novels, one programmer used ChatGPT to generate the long-awaited installments in mere minutes. A programmer generated his own shitty ending to Game of Thrones? Why waste your time? HBO already did that for you. Here's the thing. While AI has helped open many avenues for new works, there's just one problem. They're not new works. What these programs do is scrape text and images from existing works and feed it into their system in order to create copycats. So when someone wanted to know what a, a modern Mona Lisa would look like, they just typed it into an AI program and seconds later it pumped out this. That's right. <laughs> we used this ultra-powerful technological tool to put titties on the Mona Lisa. Congrats, society. We did it. And for the record, if we're going to add sweater puppies to a Da Vinci painting, it should have been the Last Supper. I mean, look at them. Who's going to crucify these melons? Anyway, these programs are not just pumping out busty, derivative works of art. They're also printing money. ChatGPT is on track to make a billion dollars just this year alone, which is great for them. But the problem is that these companies are using artists' work without consent or credit or payment. And I've had firsthand experience with this theft because one of the 100,000 books used to train ChatGPT was my book, The Bedwetter available wherever books are sold. <laughs> and by the way, that book is about my actual life, my jokes, my experiences, my pain, and ChatGPT stole all of it and didn't even have the courtesy to give me Mona Lisa tits. <laughs> I hadn't seen that artwork. <clears throat> and surprisingly, many of the owners of these AI companies don't seem to be in a giant rush to unpack the moral implications. I bought this for $79, thinking it was the work of a talented artist. But a robot made it. AI software called Midjourney, created by David Holst. How do you respond to the idea that this is somehow a counterfeit form of artistic expression? Well, we're not really selling art. We're just, we have this community that's playing with this technology. Like, the art community already has issues with plagiarism. I don't really want to be involved in that like I, I think I mean, you I, don't, I, I, I think you might be I might be I might be you know what you made oh no you guys aren't going to use the atomic bomb I made to hurt people are you Ugh. when did humanity's villains start looking like such beta cucks I mean say what you want about Genghis Khan but at least he looks like his stomach could handle milk <laughs> and this is precisely well thank you <clears throat> 
is precisely why you are seeing artists filing lawsuits to protect not only their creative work, but the work of future artists. And just to be clear, I'm not looking to shut down AI or, or turn the clock back. I just want guardrails so that AI fairly compensates the people whose work comprises its entire brain. This is not anything new. Technological advancements will always require regulation. For example, when, when technology brought us turntables and music sampling, it helped launch the genre of rap music and brought us lyrical wizards like Biggie and Tupac and Chet Hanks. <laughs> but back when it started, it wasn't clear whether sampling was an innovative art form or stealing. But eventually, legal guardrails were put in place that helped set how technology could be used to create art and compensate those who, whose previous works were being used. It's not perfect, but both sides can get what they want. It's why uh, every time you listen to the Jay-Z song, Hard Knock Life, um, those kids from Annie get money so they don't have to live in an orphanage anymore. <laughs> Everybody wins. <laughs> so long story short, I'm not saying we should destroy these AI models. I'm just saying we also need rules to protect artists and their work. And I'm confident we can find a way through this because artists are resilient. We get knocked down, but we get up again. You're never gonna keep us down. When we come back, the incredible Margot Price will be joining me on the show. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and author. She's here to talk about her latest album, Strays, and her memoir, Maybe We'll Make It. Please welcome Margot Price. Oh my God, I thought my phone alarm was on, but it was the music from here. <laughs> Sorry, my edibles are boop, yeah. kicking in. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. Um, so your album is about substance abuse, it's about um, self-image, it's about abortion rights, and you, you wrote it on mushrooms. Um, was that a revelation in songwriting? Tell me, spill. 
It was. I really wanted to shake things up. You know, I kind of got my start with this um, old school country album. It was called Midwest Farmer's Daughter, and uh, Jack White put it out. And things kindly, kind of finally turned around for me. But uh, yeah, with this album, I just wanted to be able to go out there and not be pigeonholed. Yeah. Yeah. And but the psilocybin opened your brain up did what i'm like so into this yeah it's um it's been pretty transformative for me i the first time i had a psychedelic trip i was 20 years old and i dropped out of college and moved to nashville <laughs> highly suggested for anybody who doesn't want to get into a uh, student loan debt but um then uh yeah then the next time i took it i wrote this album and 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 then the third time that i took it um i decided to quit drinking alcohol, which had really been a challenge for me. And it was kind of after I started reading about um, Bill Wilson and the work he did with AA. And he initially had a psychedelic experience on a plant called belladonna. And they were actually, at the very beginning moments of AA, they were giving people acid and it was curing their alcoholism. So um, I don't know if you're feeling stuck with anything. I will say, <laughs> in my early 20s, ecstasy changed my life. Yeah, MDMA is absolutely incredible for compassion as well. I, I, and I, I, you know, you're honest and you walk the walk. You've been really vocal about gun control, which is, I think, the number one killer of children in this country. And um, boy, you even took a detour on the road to vote in Nashville for the mayor. That's right. I, I um, was out on tour and it was just a really important election for Nashville, and so I took off at 10 o'clock at night, got to Nashville at three in the morning, woke up at nine, voted, and then drove back and played a show in Illinois. What is it like being a liberal in a, a, a kind of country world? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't get invited to all the parties, um, but that's okay. Their parties suck. And uh, um, yeah, I think it's been, I, I like pushing boundaries. I like pushing my limits. I think that if we can have conversations, we live in such polarizing times. And really, if we could all realize that we're more alike than we think and so true. begin to talk about these things, I want to destigmatize psychedelics. And uh, just thoughts on gun control. I think that the only way to do that is is by talking about it. Yeah, I agree. Not different. I mean, I've, I've almost never disliked someone I've actually met face to face. That's you know right. I mean? That's right. Yeah. Um, you have a song called "Light Me Up." Why don't you explain to the audience what it's about, Margot? Okay, I will. <laughs> Um, this song was one that we wrote the day after we took a God's dose of mushrooms and, um, you know, I was just listening to a lot of songs in the country music world and even in the Americana world and I just wasn't hearing a lot of songs about the female orgasm. And uh, I thought we needed to change that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a liberating song about sex and, and women's pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you live in such a time and... I mean, and I live in a place where, you know, abortion rights and women's bodies are just, it, they're not our own. And I, I'm here to show up and, and, and fight for yeah. what's ours. I love it.
luck, maybe we'll make it. And what was your approach to writing a book? Is, is there, were there any similarities to how you approach songwriting? Was it a completely different, daunting task? <laughs> it was daunting, and I know you know as well. <laughs> Laying it all out there. Um, I started writing it when I found myself pregnant with my daughter Ramona, and I was just at home and I, I couldn't tour. And through the process, it was also kind of when I decided to give up drinking because I was reading everything from this different place. I was able to give myself a little bit more compassion as I was reading things back. Um, but it was scary to put it all out there. Um, you know, it's everybody I've slept with, all the drugs I've ever done. So sorry, Grandma. <laughs> so it's interesting because, you know, Having written a book, you know, a memoir, it's you kind of have to really be a detective in your own life, and then you realize that would that's really good just for everybody to do, you yeah, know, because yeah. you you learned so much from it. And your I think your editor read it and said, "Gee, it it feels like whiskey is the main character of this book." Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, she said that that was like my. Uh, my co-star, and uh, it's true. I mean, I used to drink harder than anybody, and uh, that was just kind of the way that I lived, and it was like a badge of honor, and it was kind of going through that whole time. It's been almost three years now, and it's just been completely transformative to give it up and just have all this extra energy. Thank you. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by The American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, The American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now.